0: What a wonderful time of worship. What a great song selection for today, for today's topic. What a wonderful opportunity to worship together. You know, someone has said that grace is that unworldly transforming and supernatural power of God, and it is, isn't it? grace is unworldly. It's supernatural. It's transforming. And we need that. We need worship. We need the grace of God to take us out of our distracted and technological and, uh, and broken world and bring us into the presence of the living God. We need that. I need that. That's what worship does for us. And grace has been embodied perfectly has been perfectly taught to us in Jesus Christ and revealed to us in Jesus Christ. And what a perfect opportunity to come into your presence today and to come into the presence of the living God together to worship. You know, because of the grace of God, because God is gracious, God is loving. And because God is loving, God is gracious. It's amazing how that goes. J.I. Packer once said, love is one of the most tremendous and at the same time, the most misunderstood truths of the Bible. The love of God is misunderstood. We're going to talk about the love of God today as we continue in our series, Experiencing Awesome, which is a study in the attributes of God, not just knowing about God, not just having our theological categories filled with knowledge about God. We're not just walking systematic theologies. We are people who ought to be experiencing the God who reveals himself to us in all of his grandeur and glory today we 're going to talk about the love of God and so before we do that let 's bow our heads and our hearts together in prayer. Our Father, we do come into your presence today, and we have worshipped you, we have sung of your glory, Father, Son, and holy Spirit We, we have sung to you we have we have been instructed by the words of the hymn writers, of the songwriters. Uh, we have been led by our worship team into your presence to think great thoughts about you because you are a great, great father. It's, it's who you are. And you are a God of love. And yet we, we have so many different ideas of what that means. But we come into your presence today. Because we're your people, not because we're good, but because we come because we're called. We come because by your spirit, we have to be here. We have to be with other people who name the name of Christ. As we praise you, we think about who you are, that you are the self-existent one. No beginning, no end. You are eternal. We think, we think of the reality of your power, that you are El Shaddai, the God who is almighty the God who sees El Roy, the God who sees all of our life, every church. You are the God who knows all. You are omniscient. You're omnipresent. You're high and holy and lifted up. Yes, you are God on high, but you are also God nearby. We worship you. Thank you that you are here today in this church. And we know that we couldn't be close to you, we couldn't be near you, we couldn't experience you without Jesus. So the eternal Son of God we lift up today. Jesus, we lift up your name. Spirit of the living God, help us to give him praise, to hear your voice within us, to give Christ the praise, for it is finished. All all that is needed has been accomplished by Jesus. Father, you know each one of us and you know everybody here today and what we're going through. You know you know the one who has bills to pay but doesn't know how they're going to pay them, has business complications that are so great that they just wonder, can we, can we fix this? The ones struggling in their marriage or with their children, the ones facing great loss. You know the church, this church, Orangewood. You know us. You know what we're going through. Your eye is upon us, and your love is exhibited within us, and we ask for your grace. Fathers, we lift up the ministry that goes on this week. We pray for our schools that get started today, this week, as we think of our women's ministry and our missionaries, Lord, we lift them up to you. And we ask that you would do great things in their life. And even now, as we move into looking into your word, we, we need your guidance. And so we pray, Abba, Father, that we would see not only your majesty, but your closeness, your warmth, that we would run as we have sung into your arms and that you would embrace us this morning as we think about who you are. Lord, may we not just know more about you in your love, but may we experience your love. May we experience you as awesome. God who loves us as your people because of Jesus. So as we look into your word today, we pray for the one who teaches that you'd forgive him his sins and use one who is finite to communicate your infinite truth. We've come today to hear your voice. And we pray these things in Jesus name. Amen. Well, Orangewood, it's good to be back with you. I've been two weeks in Colorado. Two weeks. I know. Horrible suffering for jesus somebody had to do it it was uh, a dream that uh, i'd be able to spend two weeks out there hiking and reading and thinking and uh this year it happened and what a privilege it was to be out there i ever since i moved to florida over 30 years ago people kept who want to leave here tell me that god lives in north carolina and they're absolutely wrong god lives in the rockies i just want you to know and uh that's uh uh, a wonderful play. I love to be there, and it's a privilege uh, to have been there, uh, but um, it's a privilege to be back. Some of you are saying, listen, I've been listening to your series, Awesome, Experiencing Awesome, and Pete, you're wrong. God doesn't live in the Rockies. Good, good for you. Some of you pointed that out. You are thinking about it. I mean, you didn't say it, because who wants to be put on the spot, group this big? But God doesn't live in the Rockies, He doesn't live in North Carolina. I have it on good evidence that he lives here, too. Uh, the reality is God, as we have been looking at, as he has revealed himself to us in his holy word, we've seen that, that he's revealed himself to us as a self-existent one who has no beginning. Uh, he always was. God's, God is the self-caused cause. He is who he is from eternity past. And because of that, he is immutable. He's unchangeable. Isn't that great? It's good to know because when we think about the love of God, He never changes in that regard. So, God is self existent, we've studied. We've studied the fact that He is omnipotent. He is El Shaddai. He is God Almighty. He is God omniscient. Yes, that's right. And when we think of the omniscience of God, that means He is everywhere at the same time, inside of creation, outside of creation, in all of His fullness. As we sang this morning, He is bigger than we could ever imagine our biggest thoughts, our greatest thoughts of God are way too small. And one day when we see him face to face, we will know that he is God almighty and great and wonderful and loving as well. I love Colorado. I said that we did a lot of hiking. Uh, and, uh, we hiked, uh, two 14ers, 14ers are mountains. There's 54 mountains over 14,000 feet. And, uh, uh, so we hiked two of those. Was, my wife got her first 14, her one and done. She's not doing that again. <laughs> she is smart, but she did it. She did it. It was awesome. It was great. It was awesome. Uh-huh. It was dynamite. It's great. Beautiful. I love God. But when we use the word love, some of you love the beach. Some of you love other place. You lo- when we think of that word love, it raises so many different questions. And so when I say I love something, uh, when I say God loves us, every one of you, I'll bet, has a different idea of what it means, God loves me. What, what do you think in your heart it means when, when you hear that phrase, God loves me, What do you think it means? J.I. Packer said, it's dangerous when we think of the love of God because we have so many different ideas of the love of God. We might think that that means God is my lackey to do whatever I want him to do. And therefore, if God does whatever I want him to do, he loves me. That's a dangerous view of the love of God. Uh, And so we must think about the love of God. And our text that we're going to focus on today is Romans 5. 1 through 11, as we think about the love of God, and I've asked our tech guys to just put the text up there and to leave it up there and stay with me as best they can. I have some points, but I want you to focus on the text. I want you to think about the text of this scripture. I want to walk through it with you, and I want to unpack it so that we can understand more about the love of God, And, and, and Romans 5 follows right after Romans chapter 4. Amazing how that works. And in the first uh, few chapters of Romans, before I read Romans 5, I want to tell you that what Paul has been talking about in Romans 5, Romans is kind of his magnum opus. It is the great work of the Apostle Paul that helps us understand the salvific work of Christ, the work of Christ in all of its complexities. All of the great and difficult theological words and concepts are found in the book of Romans. It's a wonderful book, and it starts out by Paul saying that God is, God created all things, and God reveals himself, his divine nature and his attributes. He reveals himself to us in all of creation. And and, and yet so many people want to deny the divine power of God that is clearly evident in creation. One day I was doing a hike alone out there. And uh, I was following these two guys going up a hill, and they were talking among themselves about theological concepts, biblical terminology. I mean, they were, they were Christians talking. There are some Christians out there in Colorado. And uh, it was really fun listening to them talk. I got up to them and I said, guys, I agree with almost, almost everything you said. And the reason I said almost I didn't hear everything they said. But it was so great to hear them talk about the beauty of creation and the design of creation. Romans, Paul's talking about that. But Paul also says in Romans that so many people, even though they see the divine design of God in the world around them, they deny it. Then he goes on. There are those who do believe in God. And and those who believe in God, namely the Jews, a lot of times think that they are good enough to be redeemed themselves by their works of the law. And so Paul spends a lot of time in Romans 2, 3, uh, and, and 4 showing no way, absolutely not. If you do believe in God, the idea, the very idea that we could undo our list of unrighteousness By our deeds to offset them and gain God's righteousness is foolish. He goes back and he looks at Abraham chapter four, Romans. About 2000 BC, Abraham lived and Abraham believed in God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So from that starting point, as Paul does this semi-quick survey of, uh, of, of the Old Testament in Romans 1 through 4, uh, he, he brings us to chapter 5 by saying that the only way there could ever be a whole relationship with the God of the universe, the only way that could happen is through Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross for us, his work, his life, death, burial, resurrection. That's how we can have a whole relationship with God. And that's where we come to this text. The Apostle Paul says, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we've obtained introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance proving character and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man. Oh, perhaps for a good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we'll be saved by his life. And not only this, but we exalt and God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom now we've received the reconciliation. This is God's word. It's power. It's a powerful collection of truths. And I have three truths, but let's go back to verses one through five on our, on our outline and focus on these uh, few verses. If you have your Bibles, you might want to look at them or look what's up on the screen here. Because First of all, what this teaches is that Christianity, that what it means to be a Christian is that we are a group of people who, uh, who have been brought into a reconciled relationship with God. God is so holy that in order to have a whole relationship with him, we have to be justified, declared not guilty for our sins. Uh, and, 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 and that is so important. In order for that relationship to happen, we had to be justified. Christianity is a substitution religion. You know that. Christianity is not a, not a religion in the classic sense of man trying to earn his way to God. But if you think of Christianity as man worshiping God, it's a religion. It's the only one that is a substitute oriented religion. The only way you get in is if somebody else does the work for you. That's how it works. Um, Now, this is very counterintuitive. And I've had people say to me, Pete, don't I bring anything into my salvation with God? I say, oh, absolutely. You do. You bring your sin. (laughs) (laughs) You bring yourself. You bring your messes. You bring a lot to the table that has to be cleaned up. And so the reality is, uh, we put our full weight of trust in Jesus, and then we're declared not guilty for our sins. That's justification, being declared not guilty. And we get to stand into a whole relationship with God because of the work of Christ. Uh, And and by the way, isn't it interesting in the New Testament that says that even faith is a gift? By grace, you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. You see, so... it's a substitution religion that is just based on grace, based on faith in the one who did everything for. It's important to see that justification by faith alone in Christ is, is, is not an excuse. Justification is not an excuse. Have you ever, did you make any justifications for your own sins this past week? Don't raise your hand and say, no, not me, because probably it's, it's normal. One time we were sitting around the uh the table, family dinner table. I, my two sons were in, high, in college at that point, and uh, we were having one of those f- fun family times. I said, hey guys, tell me, tell me a couple of things that you've done, or tell me one thing that you did that you got away with that I never knew about. <laughs> so, immediately my two sons look at each other, and Joel goes, well, remember the, remember the time you guys came home and... Uh, you told, you saw that hole in the roof of the back porch? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I, I think I, we came home from doing some errands on a Saturday, and I, was, I saw this putty mark, putty fix in the hole in the roof there, metal roof in back porch, and you said that you had taken the, your duck hunting stand, seat, set the seat that we use out when we're duck hunting and accidentally poked the hole, and you plugged it up. I said, yeah, he goes, that's not what happened. Uh, what happened? Well, I was cleaning my shotgun, and Johnny's bouncing the basketball. Johnny played basketball, and I, instead of putting a dummy shell in, I put the real shell in. And I blew a hole, in the... I like. She really did that. He said, "Yeah, Johnny freaked out, man, but it was so great." Now, it could, have, it could have ended up a whole lot worse, right? But he told me a lie in order to justify the hole in the roof. You ever done that? I still haven't forgiven him. <laughs> no, it was great. That was great. I absolve you of your great sins, my son. It was, it was, it was awesome. I want you. But a lot of times what we do is, is in order to justify ourselves, we'll tell a lie. Uh, other times what we'll do in order to justify ourselves is we'll give a whole host of reasons for why we did what we did, right? I, 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 this is a lesson that I continue to learn and when I mess up, just say, I'm sorry, right? Guys, men, men, we got a little, let's do this. Just with me out loud, just say, I'm sorry, honey. I'm sorry. A one, two, three, I'm sorry, honey. No excuses. I'm still working on that, okay? Because, see, what I want to do when I do something wrong is I want to say, I'm sorry, honey, but here's why I did it. And I'm a preacher, so I give three points on a poem and try and get through the whole thing. <laughs> we try to justify ourselves over and over and over again, and that's not what Paul means. Paul means that justification by faith alone in Christ is being declared literally not guilty for our sins because of what Jesus did. Isn't that wonderful? That's what the gospel is. That's good news. That's really good news. Uh, I I read Ian Crone's book while I was out west. Anyone who says they're trying to be good, a good Christian, right away reveals that they have no idea what a Christian is. Christianity is not something you do as much as something that gets done to you. The Holy Spirit comes, gives us faith. We believe. Jesus is our substitute. Isn't that great news? That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. And so so as we think about the gospel, as Paul unpacks the gospel here in these verses, the first thing he wants to remind us about is the powerful substitutionary work of Jesus, keeping us focused on Jesus. Because when we get our minds off Jesus, that's where we get into trouble, every one of us. Now, the second truth that he brings up is found in verses five and following. and He says, because of the gospel, because of the good news of the work of Christ, we exult in the hope of the glory of God. Verse six, uh, we exult in the hope, verse five, excuse me, we exult in the hope of the glory of God. Now, I want to tell you first what it means to exult in the hope of the glory of God. First, I want to tell you what it means to exult. To exult means to be ecstatic it means to be thankful it means to be happy it means to be it's what Matt Frazier did this past week he just won the CrossFit Games for the third time in a row he is fit he's the fittest man in the world and when he stepped onto the dais to achieve to receive his award what was he doing Ah, oh, sucks thank you guys no he's going yes 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 He was exulting because he'd beaten the top 40, 39 other fittest men in the world in a week long competition and he won. Won by 115 points or something like that. It was amazing. He was exulting. We hike 14ers. Uh, You know, at at my age, it's kind of like just get to the top. My daughter loves to get up. She gets to the boulders and it's kind of like mountain goat. She's a mountain goat. That's what she is, a little mountain goat. Um, and and uh, when she gets to the top of the mountain, what does she do? She, it, we get the pictures out and we, ex- we take pictures. I was here. I really was here. And, uh, and her way of exalting is not, yes, it's like this. With her big smile. Every picture. Every time on a 14er. Her mode of exaltation is yes. I love it. I got about 600 of them in my phone. Um, by the way, Presbyterians do not do exaltation very well. Do we? Some of you are worried after we have a great song. As you want to say praise the Lord, or you want to raise your hand. You kind of go, gee, I don't know. What's the right way here, here for a Presbyterianist like here, <laughs> if you're Episcopalian, it's kind of like, okay, we struggle with exaltation as Presbyterians because we're afraid that we will, we will obscure the majesty of God by focusing upon the grace and love of God. And we don't have to confuse the two. We don't have to reconcile the two. God is majestic and gracious, and we can exalt. Now, what does Paul mean? He says, we ex- because of the gospel, we exalt in the grace of the glory of God. What is the grace of the glory? What is exalting in the hope, excuse me, of the glory of God? What he means by this is, listen, when we came to faith in Christ, we knew we were a mess. It takes a sinner to become saved. It takes somebody who understands their messiness in order to get cleaned up, right? Isn't that that sort of a requirement to become a Christian is know how bad you are? And so when you become a Christian, the reality is we know we're forgiven, but God institutes a process. We exult in the hope of the glory of God. That means that one day, That perfection of God will be seen in us. We're forgiven. Great. Sin, sin is a burden. Addictions, sins that we do today are burdens. I sit with my friends who are struggling with some addictions that I don't face, and and, and they're, they're weighed down. Don't tell me that sin is a wonderful opportunity. Sin is crushing. My favorite verse when I first came to Christ for the first 10 years at least was Philippians 1.6. I am confident of this very thing. He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. I'd look at the mirror and I'd say, Pete, you're a mess, but Jesus is in you. He's working on you. You're going to get better. The glory, and we and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. That was what I was exulting in. One day I would be better. And one day I would actually be perfect because sin is a burden. And, 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 uh, and, and, but there's a subtle thing that happens the longer you follow Jesus Christ. Track with me on this, see if it's true for you. Uh, you know the older, younger brother story in Luke 15? story of the prodigal son. There's a dynamic that takes place there because really, as, as Tim Keller has pointed out, it's really about a prodigal father and these two sons. And it's, it's a powerful story. But what happens is that the prodigal son, the, wasted, the wasteful son, the son is involved in debauchery and loose living, however you want to call it. He goes out there. He realizes sin is no fun because sin turns on you. And he comes back. and He says, dad, I need help. And he repents. It's great. And the dad embraces him. And the older brother is over there. What's the older brother doing? Man, I've been a good guy all my life. I've stayed here. I haven't gone out and messed up. I'm here. I'm home. Dad, you haven't taken care of me. And the dad's freaking out because his oldest brother, he's, his oldest son, he's given everything. There's a dynamic. If you start out, As a younger brother, and you follow Jesus and you grow, you may well end up like the older brother. Big sinners often turns into big legalists. Big sinners get better. Why? Because Jesus starts cleaning us up, the hope of the glory of God. He cleans us up. We start getting better. We say, I'm not so bad. And I can't exactly track it, but there was a time, Philippians 1, 6 is no longer my favorite verse. He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. I'm not so bad. No, I'm a Pharisee. And I need to repent of that. And so what happens is that in our life is that we, we sometimes have this flow, younger brother to older brother, uh, you know, wasteful person uh, in debauchery, doing all kinds of bad stuff into legalism and, and Pharisaism. I'm way better than everybody else. We all need to Repent. And when we do, we come back to the reality we see ourselves as we really are and that we need to continue to grow. Why? Because the gospel, what it does is it 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 changes us. You see, the hope of the gospel is not only that you're forgiven, but that you are transformed, that I'm transformed, (laughs) that we get to be better to the way that God intended us to be, which is the way of freedom and life. So we focus on sanctification, not because if we get better, God loves us. No, God loves us. And in Christ, his work in us is to set us free. The hope of the glory of God. Um, I love what Mark Twain once said. He was talking about a man who was becoming good in the worst possible sense of the word. (laughs) Arrogant. And we exalt in the hope of the glory of God, what the gospel does is it begins to transform us into people that want to get better to bring glory to God. And then one day when Jesus comes back, he's going to clean up the whole created order and then bring us to the final, uh, uh, final spot of growth in his likeness but he's in the process today what the gospel does is it causes us to understand that we're his forever that we get to exult in the hope of the glory of God but we exult in something else notice this we exult in our tribulations this will freak you out verse 3 not only this but we also exult in our tribulations Knowing that tribulations bring about perseverance and perseverance brings about proven character and proven character hope and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. In the gospel, we can even exalt in our tribulations. Maybe not, yay, this kind of exaltation. But we know that the major goal is, the, is not only the restoration of all things, but the consummation of all things. When Jesus comes back, he's not going to just set it up like it was in Genesis. He's going to expand the glory of God all throughout the universe. It's going to be way bigger than we can ever imagine. It's the consummation more than just the restoration. That includes us, our character, our life. Being. That's why a Christian can say we exalt in our tribulations. Notice you could hear a pin drop in the room right now. Some of you are saying, I know that I ought to think that way, but I don't feel that way. You don't know my trials. You don't know my suffering. I don't. Um, but I know this is true. We exalt in our tribulations. Um, perseverance. In our trials, if we allow the grace of God in our trials, in our sufferings, in our difficulties, if we allow our trials to bring us closer to grace, to run to him, do you notice the song that we sang this morning, how we run into his arms? I run into your arms. If we will allow grace to keep us running into the arms of God, we will develop perseverance. And without perseverance, you can accomplish nothing. Without perseverance, the first few days I was hiking out there. Hey, listen, I spent two weeks out there. I got all these illustrations. I'm going to use them, okay? So <laughs> forgive me. The first few days it was like, <gasps> but I got better. Because when I'm pushed, I develop perseverance. You ride bikes. You're not going to, get, you're not going to go further until you ride further. And push yourself so you fall at a heap in front of your garage when you get back. If you're a jogger, unless you jog more, you're not going to get more perseverance, the be able ability to endure. And when you have the ability to endure, then you can develop your technique. Military. The reason why our Navy SEALs and other uh, uh, high-level elite warriors are work so hard at physical conditioning is so that when they're under combat conditions, they can shoot accurately, they can think clearly, they can accomplish the task. If they don't have perseverance, they accomplish nothing. Through faith in Christ, perseverance leads to proven character, leads to developed character. As we, as we go through trials, and some of you are saying, listen, I've been going through trials for a long time, I know. And God intends for us to be able to get our wind spiritually as we run to him so that we can learn and grow and let him transform us and proving character, bringing character. God is much more about building us into the image of Christ than he is making all the difficult situations in our life go away. You know that, don't you? This is not heaven. I always wondered why my church struggled so much. Why the church was always so messy. It's always been messy. Read the book of Acts. First century, the church was messy. It was never nice, calm, and cool. Never. It's not heaven. Uh, disciples, disciples. when we're at our best, when we're running to the Lord because of his grace and love for us, we're saying, Lord, don't, don't, don't just get me out of this thing. Grow me through it. Perseverance brings about proven character, proven character, hope. Why? Because when you get to the end of the day, you go, hey, I'm not so immature as I used to be. Hope. I'm not so self-absorbed. Isn't that wonderful? I'm growing up finally in the faith. Praise God. God's at work. You know, one thing I think why so many Christians uh, are not excited with God anymore is they don't see the supernatural working of God anymore. And the reason they don't see the supernatural working of God anymore is they're not trying to grow anymore. We're waiting for an experience. God, do something. Do some supernatural, something mystical here. And he said, I'm trying to. I'm trying to build you into the image of my son. You're not cooperating. You're just sitting around. Hey, you want to see some power? Let me dink with your character. That's where supernatural power of God comes in. And when he begins to change us, when we begin to face ourselves, because of grace, you can face anything about yourself. Come tell me something about yourself. Say, Pastor, this is going to shock you. I want to tell you the truth about my... It's not going to shock me. Heard it. Heard it before. But because of grace, we can say, Lord, change... We exalt in our tribulations because tribulations further the cause for which we have been called heavenward in Christ. And that is to be like Christ, to be enjoying of God uh, in him and proven character does not disappoint. I know. Now, let me say this real quick. I'm almost done. Suffering is rough. And some of you guys have been going through suffering like, no, I understand one family, and I've been, I've been out of town, so I don't know the names. I understand a family lost twins this week, premature, early birth. That's rough. Some of you have lost kids. That is rough. Some of you lost your job. All right, there's an 800-pound gorilla in the room. The report is in. It's been a rough six months at Orangewood. Can we talk? you got to pray for your elders. you got to pray for your staff. you got to pray for your church. This is not a time for us to run away. This is time for us to run into the arms of the living God. This is time for us to say, Lord, what are you doing in me? I'm ticked, God. I don't understand it, God. Why me? Why us? I don't know. Why not you? Why not us? I don't know. All I can say is that God is is God. He's not surprised by any of this. It's rough. Suffering is rough. So we don't exult like this, but we exult on our knees knowing that Jesus is at work. You got to know that. We got to live that because that's reality. Christianity Today magazine says that they publish more articles on suffering than any other type of article. Why? Because suffering is what drives us away from God more than anything else trials, challenges keep unbelievers from coming to Christ more than anything else. Why is there suffering in the world? We know the cross is empty and so is the tomb. And we know that we can exalt in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, Pete, I thought you were going to talk about the love of God. I am. And hope does not. Paul says Paul says, we exalted our tribulations, tribulations bring about perseverance, perseverance, proven character, proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts. Think fire hose, poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And what we need to do is experience the love of God for us. It was demonstrated in Christ. It was poured out in our hearts. Do you remember when you first came to Christ? Yes, I'm forgiven. I'm a mess, but I'm forgiven. And one day I'm going to be better. It's great. That love of God is still there. One other text I want you to look at real quick, and then then I'm going to wrap this up. Because the love of God is powerful in our life in so, so many ways. And here it is in Ephesians. The apostle Paul says, for this reason, by the way, in in Ephesians, he's been you say you're jumping books. I know. But in Ephesians here, he's been dealing with the, the same thing that Paul's been dealing with the gospel. And he says, For this reason, because of all that Jesus has done for us, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth rise his name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened by his spirit in the inner man, so that what? Say it with me. So that Christ may hearts through faith. Well, I thought Christ is already in us if I'm a Christian. Yes, that's true, he's there but that being rooted and grounded in love, we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge that we might be filled up to all the, what's that word? Fullness of God. Why don't we have the fullness of God? Because we don't have the love of God. And what we need to do is, like Paul told the Ephesians, we need to pray that his love would be real. Christ is there. If you're a Christian, Christ's there. He's inside. He dwells there. Now pray that the love of God would be real in you, that we would experience the awesomeness of his love, not just know about it. In order to experience the love of God, we've got to pray for it. Let me wrap up with saying these things. The love of God is His unconditional commitment to imperfect people. That's us. He loves you. Deal with it. Some of you think that you're lovely and should be loved. You're not, (laughs) but loved anyway. Some of you think you're unlovable and can't be loved and you're not experiencing the grace of God because you don't think you are loved. Deal with it. The love of God is demonstrated to us in Christ. It's real even in and through our suffering. We got to run into his arms right now, this week, every week. Because we want to be filled up with the fullness of God. That is a supernatural response. Someone said the truth will set you free, but not till it's done with you. It's true. The love of God is a truth that will set you free, but you got to let it work through your system, your heart, your mind. I'm lovable. I deserve to be loved. No, you're not. I'm not lovable. Yes, you are by God's grace because God is God. And we need to move into God even in the midst of this suffering, his awesomeness has been poured out in our hearts because, because he chose to love us. I raised my two boys mowing the lawn in the hot Florida sun, not because I was tired of mowing the lawn and the hot Florida sun, but because it was good for them to mow the lawn and the hot Florida sun. They never understood why until they grew up. And we won't understand all the whys of suffering, the whys of what goes on in the church. We won't understand it all until we get home. But if we run to his arms, to the majestic, gracious, strong arms of a living God who's poured out his love in Christ, we will find that his love is really all we need. And we can rest in that. And it will transform us until we get home rankin Wilborn said this in his book, Union with Christ, when being conformed to Christ is your horizon. Every accomplishment, every promotion, every trophy becomes a potential hurdle, something that might lead you away from that which is better, knowing Christ and being conformed to his image. What is a win? to become more like Jesus, dependent, obedient, humble, compassionate, and becoming someone who loves. Love is at the heart of the image of God. Your win, my win, is learning how to love. Your greatest losses are your failures to love. We will become people who prize relationships, especially difficult ones, when we learn how to love. We can only love once we've been loved. And then we can only love to the extent to which we've been loved. Perfectly in Christ, even in the midst of trial. Run to him, and I will too. You take it to heart, let's pray. Father, the wonders of your love are otherworldly, they're supernatural. They are wrapped up with the simplicity and beauty of your character. And so our great God, as we come into your presence today, as we look for answers, as we deal with broken hearts, uh, minds that are confused, as we think about where do we go, what do we do, how do we live, we know with the disciples that there's no place else but to run to you. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so I thank you for the Orangewood family. And I thank you for their love for you, for your love for them. And I pray that this week, even in the midst of an imperfect world, challenging world, you would enable us by your spirit to run into your arms. Embrace us. Embrace us. May we know, Father, at the end of the week, that that's all we need. For we pray these things in the strong name of our risen Savior, Jesus. Amen.